Let's go. We're going to read the text uh, and then begin to dive into that. So in Luke chapter 4, we'll be in verses 42 through 44. This is probably one of the shortest passages you have, we will read together, um, but it's, it's rich. So um, I'll begin, and then as you continue on. Uh, and when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. Amen. So we're going to talk about today, if I will, as you stay up. Kingdom purpose is fueled in the desolate places. Kingdom purpose is fueled in the desolate places. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, um, Lord, your word is sharper than a double-bladed sword. Father, I thank you that you use weak vessels to show off the glory of your name um, Lord, so I, I pray that as we get into your word today, that um, every word of my mouth, every meditation of my heart, Lord, for we know that the, out of the heart flow the issues of life, and it flows what I say. And so, Lord, every meditation of my heart may be pleasing unto you, O Lord my God. You are our rock, our redeemer, our refuge, our strength, our king, our Lord. You're the one in whom we trust. And so, Lord, bless this time. Fill me with your spirit, Father, uh, to preach your word and to communicate your word. May our hearts be receptive to what you desire um, as we walk together as your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as you, as you take your seat, um, how many of y'all know, over these last 20 years of learning to walk with Jesus and what that looks like, there's been something that I've known theologically to some degree, but I've wrestled practically with. And that is that sometimes the Lord answers your prayers, and other times it doesn't seem like he's answering them in your timing. And sometimes he just doesn't flat out answering, uh, answer what you're asking. So they, there's this sense about that's the reality of our lives as believers is that it's, we have a life of prayer and sometimes it feels like the Lord answers and we get encouraged like, oh God, you really do care for me. This is incredible. Do you, you, y'all know what I'm saying? And then there's other times when it doesn't feel like he answers and you're like, dang, Lord, like you ain't good. Like, do you really love me? Like, are you really sovereign over all creation? Like, do you hear my prayer? I mean, this is a wrestle in the Psalms too. Like there's a wrestle when God doesn't answer in our timing and what we want. All right, so similarly, what happens is that when that happens, we start to question his goodness. We start to get frail in our certainty. We start to, you know, and if that stuff festers, then what happens is that we begin to say, Jesus, you should do it this way. Am I right? You should do it this way. Right? I know how we should do it. And so this is a thing that in the book of Luke, in, in, in Luke's gospel, um, it's, it's written to a, a, a man named Theophilus, which means lover of God. And in this, Luke says, you know, I'm writing this to you to give you certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Theophilus had been taught the word of God. He had under, heard and understood the gospel. And Luke writes this to say, I want to present a clear account so that you can be assured or certain of these things that you've already been taught. 
okay? So Theophilus goes in there. Now, most likely, Theophilus is a God-fearer who came to Christ, which was an original Jewish movement, right? So he's thinking in his mind, well, Jesus came, he's, he's supposed to redeem the Jews, but a lot of the Jews didn't turn to him or see him as, as the Messiah, so should I really, like, What's going on here? And so you can, you can kind of sense the tension. Is Jesus really this, this person that I'm hearing about? Is, is this what he's doing? And so that, that's the, some of the stuff that potentially, in light of Luke writing for certainty, he might be wrestling with. So he goes on and he says, the whole book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, what the Spirit of God breathed out and wrote to Luke to a specific audience to communicate the things of Christ. Here's what he says in Theophilus's question, is, is this really the right thing? He gives a resounding yes. And here's what he lays out through the gospel of Luke um, in, in, in two quick points here. Christ is the center of God's redemptive purpose or his purpose to bring together people and forgive a people to reflect his glory. And in fact, it was God's purpose for the Messiah to suffer, be rejected, killed, and to be raised on the third day, right? But the way he died didn't make sense for a lot of people, so they didn't see him. And yet he says, scripture said that this would be the purpose of the Messiah, and then it says to save his people, he would subject himself to rejection via crucifixion at the hands of the very people he created in love. He not only came for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. So he's giving this encouragement. Theophilus, he didn't just come for the Jews, but he's the fulfillment of what Israel was supposed to be, couldn't, pointed to his need. He comes on the scene and he does what no one else could do, and he's doing it to shine, to spread the nations, to spread the gospel to the nations. So it's not just for the Jews, Theophilus. Be encouraged, Gentile, non-Jew believer, Theophilus, because God is at work in the nations. All right, so he's getting at this to Theophilus. And then the second thing, he says, Theophilus, Christ calls his followers to imitate him and follow him with the same expectations. So he says, the Messiah was gonna suffer, be killed, raised on the third day, right? He was gonna, he was gonna go in anguish. He was gonna go through struggling. He says, you know what? And you're going to too. And he calls you Theophilus to imitate Christ. So then he comes to this passage where he says, so when the stuff doesn't happen the way you think it should happen, right? He says, you need to come to this text and learn about the desolate place, Theophilus. You need to learn about the desolate place because that right there will fuel kingdom purpose even when it doesn't make sense to you. All right, so we come to this passage and it says in, 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 uh, in the beginning kind of context, I wanna read verse 40. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to Jesus and Jesus laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. See, they, they didn't have a proper understanding of the Messiah. He was trying to tell them. And so he says, nah, you can't, you ain't know what's up, quiet. 
right? You can't testify demons about this because you, you don't know the purpose, right? So God, he's working out God's purpose. And so what he does is, you can imagine, Jesus, I mean, I, I don't know if y'all, if you were at a place and literally thousands, well, I want to say thousands of people, I don't know exactly how many people, but a whole bunch of people were bringing everyone in, that, in those cities to Jesus. He was laying his hands on every single one. He didn't say, all oh, y'all be healed. He could have, but he laid his hands on every single one. He's tired. Jesus is tired. Jesus is 100% God, 100% man, and in his humanity experienced everything that we did in temptation-wise. He felt the pain, the anguish. He experienced it, and he was tired. All right? And so you see that is the context there. So what does he do? Verse 42. And when it was day, he departed. Jesus is tired. When it was day, he departed. What Jesus models and shows us about this is that when it was day, in Mark 135, it says it's not just when it was day. Mark says um, early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus departed. Okay? So he, there's a sense of he knew his context and how that helped him understand when you're tired and beat and worn out and you see the reality of limits, how do you deal with it? To set the context of what this was, just imagine Capernaum where he was. Most of the blocks, and the fact that they use blocks is such a city term, but um, this commentator, but most blocks in Capernaum consisted of four homes facing a common courtyard. Villages were also often close together, and though one could find a place alone if one rose early enough, um, people would still rise up at dawn, basically. So there's a lot of people in the, in, the, in the area, a little different than Philly, but it's very similar. A lot of people in the area, right? So Jesus, what he did, though, he knew the context. He knew that everybody else rose up at dawn. How many of y'all rose up at dawn today? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I was like, no one, right? It's like, what are two people? <laughs> the heaps over there. Um, so, but Jesus, <laughs> Jesus woke up at dawn, but he, he didn't just walk up at dawn. He woke up before dawn because he knew that he needed to do what it took to get communion with the Father. So he knew his context. He knew when he needed to go to get away. And, and, and not only that, but then it says when it was day, he departed, right? Matthew's in, in, uh, in Mark 135, it says that he departed and prayed. So he got away at the right time based on his context, where he needed to go. But then he also, not only that, but he knew when he needed it. I'm tired. I need to depart and go to a place to commune with the Father, I had a very full day of ministry, all right? So he knew those two things. You see, Jesus models a reality of in life, we tend to not, in our culture, we don't wanna, we don't wanna embrace limits. We hate limits, right? I mean, why do you think, and college students, I know y'all struggle with this, why do you think you drink like five Red Bulls in a night to stay up so you can get more stuff done? I know y'all do. I know y'all drink. What, what, I mean, we don't like to be held down. We like to be our independent, autonomous self that says, I don't have any limits on me. I can do whatever I want. And, and, and that's an issue. <laughs> that's an issue. And it ends up, we're going to talk about, it ends up leading to destruction in our lives. And the root of it, as we'll see in this text, the root of it is you don't, we don't trust God. 
right? The root of it is that we do not trust God. And so we need, first off, we need as humans to recognize that we have limits. I have news for us. We're not God. That's simple, but do y'all believe that? You are not God. You did not create the heavens and the earth. You did not give direction to how things are to be formed and planted in cities developed. Like, God made all this stuff, and he gives the directives. And so we as humans, Jesus looks and says, guys, like, there's a sense where you need to embrace limits for those who recognize their need and they're not God can begin to see the kingdom of God. Do you hear me? And so that, that's something that he says within that. Um, and so he goes on, he goes on and he departed. And so what he does in departing is he goes to a desolate place. All right, so continues on in verse 42, is that he, he uh, when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. So the day and the he de- departed are the when and the where do you go, right, to get communion with the Father, to spend time with the Lord. Not a one time, but it's a rhythm of life. If you don't see your limits, you won't do that. You won't enjoy God, you won't walk with him, and you'll increasingly less reflect what he's called us to do. Amen. All right? So we go in, and he, and he says, his, see, his departing was an aimless departing. I think sometimes what we do is our departing becomes like a chillaxing. I'm going to do nothing. I'm going to play video games for like five hours, right? I'm going to be on social media all this kind of time. But in the whole reason, what we're doing on social media is like I got issues, so I'm going to project and create this false reality for my life because I... I don't know how to really deal with the issues of life. So I'm going to go and I'm going to chillax on social media to try to kind of get rest and make sense of life and what's going on. I just had a really busy test. Now, I'm not saying video games are of the devil. I'm not. Video games are great. I'm just not good at them. So I don't play them. And I've got video game money. But, but you know what I'm saying? But, but the point is, is that his departing to a desolate place had purpose. And here's, so I began to look and saying, okay, Lord, what, what is this desolate place because also in, in chapter 5 of Luke, ministry increased and it said, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So, okay, Lord, you know, what are, so I did a little survey of Luke of what was going on in some of the prayers of Christ. All right, what, what were some things that could have been true in this desolate place? All right, so here's, uh, here's some instances when he prayed. In chapter 3, verse 21, he was praying during his baptism. That's unique to Luke. Matthew and Mark don't have that. It says he was baptized by John to fulfill what God is doing, and he was praying. All right? 5.16 of Luke says, prayed when ministry demand increased. So he prayed when the ministry demand increased. 6.12, chapter 6, verse 12, he prayed all night before selecting the 12 disciples or apostles. All night. We don't like all night prayer. We fall asleep like the disciples, right? But he prayed all night. He communed with the Father because this, this was a very significant decision. Nine, chapter 9.18, praying and then ask the disciples who people say he is. So he's praying, and then he says, hey, who do you guys say that, who do they say that I am? 
So he's praying and then asks them. It's an identity thing of wanting them to see, right? And he's in tune with the Father. 9.28, he went to the mountain to pray and tr- the transfiguration happened. Transfiguration, for you, those who don't know, is when the Lord goes up and Elijah and Moses are there and he shows off in all his glory. He's, he's showing them how God fulfilled it on in Jesus and the disciples see his glory unveiled and they're rocked, all right? So he's praying, he goes up and he's, and he's praying and then that happens. Um, in chapter uh, 10, verse 21, it says, he thanked the Father that he reveals salvation to little children. God, thank you that you've revealed children, uh, revealed salvation to little children, not to the arrogant and the proud or those who recognize they don't need any limits and they don't want nothing to do, to the little children. And he, he opens eyes to that. Chapter 11, 1 says, Jesus was praying and the disciples asked him how to pray. So he's praying and somehow they see a connection of his prayer life of the fact that he's healing people. There's power over creation, power over demonic realm, power in the, the words that he spoke. He has power over this. So, so they're like, what is going on? This dude is healing. This guy's casting out demons. They haven't seen this before. So they're like, what's the connection? And you know what he tells them? He says, our father who art in heaven. Pray like this. You're adopted. Fatherhood, that's a d- adoption language. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? Not holy is your name, but may your name be seen as holy and reverenced throughout all the earth. Let your name be hallowed. He tells them, he invites them into a big kingdom picture in his desolate prayer times. And, and so then he goes on about forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Thine is the kingdom. He goes into this, right? And then... He says in chapter 22, 42, you see Jesus wrestling in the garden. He's about to go to the cross, sweating blood, saying, Father, if there is another way, let this cup pass from me. But not your will, my, not my will, but your will be done. There is a, there is a wrestle there. And then the, the final one is chapter 23, verse 34. He, he says to them, uh, as he's about to die, Father, forgive them, for they know not what to do. You see, Jesus has this prayer life, it's dependence upon the Father, the dependence and led by the Spirit of God to accomplish what he did. And here's the commonality in all these. They all relate to identity and the purpose of Christ for the glory of God and the redemption or salvation of his people to live as a redeemed community, not just as ourselves for our own purpose, but to live as a redeemed community who daily depends upon God's provision in Christ through the Spirit to transform us each day. Dependence upon the Lord to transform us each and every day. This included dependence, humility, and surrender. Dependence, humility, and surrender. And throughout Luke, there's a temptation to go AWOL or abort the mission. And we're, that's a very real struggle for us as we, we, we kind of like, we, we take what we have and we help, we kind of, we interpret and tell God, this is how you need to do your mission. And so we are very prone to get off mission and begin to doubt God's goodness, reject limits, and not see what he's doing. And that's why he says, you know what? In those times, you need to go to the desolate places. You need to go to the desolate places because right now you're wilding out. Right now you're not seeing what it's about. And Jesus says, you know, I went into the desolate place, Theophilus, 
Epiphany Fellowship, we need to go into the desolate places as a rhythm of life or else we can lose track of certainty of what is kingdom purpose. So now, now we know we need to, right? We need to embrace limits. We need to know what they are. We need to read limits because limits, on side two, limits will change based on your season, all right? So when I have, when we have the third baby, Lord willing, by his grace, you know, my, my limits are gonna look completely different, right? When you're a student, your limits look different. Um, if you go through a deep physical reality, right, your limits are gonna look different, Right? When, when something tragic happens, you have different limits. So whether you choose, like if you get married and have kids, if you get married, this is for free, don't act like you're a single dude anymore, man. All right? Your, your life changes for the good. All right? Ladies, same goes for you. When you have kids, men, don't always go out and chill and chillax with all your dudes when your wife's laboring at home, not just while you're working. She's got a 24-7 job. You hear me? During the day and during the night. So it's not like you going like, I can chillax now and, I, and don't use this as like, I need my desolate place to do my thing. No, <laughs> you find your desolate place in the right time so you see kingdom purpose where you are in the season where you are. Do you hear me? So this is important for us to grow as to say, how do I live out kingdom purpose in every area? You gotta go to the desolate place as a rhythm. So here's what he says, some, some things for, in light of Christ's prayers and looking at this temptation, um, here's four areas um, or three areas that go on in the des desolate place. So what goes on the in the desolate place? Number one is rest, celebration, thanksgiving. Rest, celebration, thanksgiving happens in the desolate place. It's good to celebrate what God has done. It's good to go take a nap and rest. You need to know your limits. Some of y'all can go six hours a day, right, and you're fine. Others need eight hours. If you need eight hours, take your eight hours and steward your time well. Know yourself. Know what you need as Jesus is forming you, all right? Because when you don't and you go beyond limits, you're, that's sin because you're not trusting God, all right? That's a struggle for all of us in every area of life. You've got to embrace that. And, and so when you rest, rest, celebrate, thanksgiving. You know, you know this kind of stuff happened because Jesus says, Father, I thank you that you revealed this thing to little kids. Right? Like this stuff is happening. Second, you need to also have a place in that desolate place where honest reflection and wrestle. You need to go into the desolate place with honest reflection and struggle and wrestle. That's not an easy one, but we have to do that. So the questions like, what's motivating me in this? Am I disappointed in God? Am I pursuing a love for others uh, above a love for him, or a love for other things, I'm sorry, above a love for him? Do I believe that he's a good authority? I tell you, that's one of the most difficult areas, but essential areas. I remember, um, even recently, my wife has, like sometimes her tear duct will get clogged up, um, and what'll happen is some infection in her, like just inside, and her, she feels inflamed on that side of her face when it happens. Um, and she's going through it right now. Um, and so it is, a, it is a, there have been times, and this is one of the most recent, where I will get on my face and I am PO'd at the Lord. 
God, what? I know you're all powerful. Why does this happen at the times as it does? This isn't supposed to happen like this, Lord. And I begin to vent my frustrations to God. And if I don't, if I don't go and wrestle with the Lord, Psalm 62, 8 it, we're talking about pouring out my heart before the Lord, then what's gonna happen is that's gonna fester in my heart and I'm going to take it out on my wife because all of a sudden I will blame her for something she didn't choose, right? And I'm really angry at God, but I don't go to the desolate place and pour my heart out to him. And then if that continues on, you become so emotionally dysfunctional and immature and broken that everybody around you, you hurt. But what you're really frustrated at is that God didn't do what you wanted him to do. That's the wrestle of the desolate place. Every believer needs to go there consistently to be growing in Christ and whole as the people of God. And that leads to the third one is to surrender and believe the gospel. Surrender and believe the gospel. This comes as you stay in the desolate place. I don't know what Jesus was praying all night for the disciples, but I wonder if he was like this, Father, yo, that dude is tight. Like that, that guy's got it going on and he's wrestling. Like I really like this dude. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe it was like, man, I know Judas is gonna betray me. Scripture even says it. Do I have to go through that? And I don't know what he was praying exactly, but I know that there are times for us when we gotta wrestle for a long period of time in the desolate place as a rhythm of our life because it gets hard, because I don't always understand what happens and what God is doing, but I go to the desolate place and I come to the point of releasing and learning to embrace his will and his purpose. I come to that point. But it requires wrestling at times, believing. That's, the, that's when you look for the prayers that God has answered and you look at the character of God and you journal those and you remember that. Because there are times when it won't answer the way you want it, but God is doing something greater. And that's what Paul recognized in Philippians. When he says in Philippians 1.12, or, or different before we get to 1.12, Paul and Philippians recognized that I've learned the secret of contentment. And what is that? That I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The all things and do all things is I can learn the secret of living with or without. I've learned it because I'm seeing the redemptive purpose of God and his kingdom mission. And that is, Paul recognized, to be conformed more into the image of God, Romans 8, 28, 29, and for the advancement of the gospel. So much so that he says, Paul was thrown in prison if there's no limit like that, I don't know what a limit is. Paul loved to spread the gospel, and now he's in prison. A limit that was put on him, that God allowed to be put on him for a purpose. And Paul began to understood, understand because he probably learned and he spent time communing with the Lord, he said, he's able to say in Philippians 1.12, you know what? My imprisonment has served for the advancement of the gospel. My limit that I used to be frustrated. I'm assuming he was fr- I'd be frustrated. Can't read into Paul, but <laughs> that's, there's a, I would have a frustration. God, why did you do this? Why did it happen like this? And you go into the desolate place and God works on you and you begin to say, you come out surrendering and saying, God, you are good. 
You are good. I know that this salvation that I want to happen now, even though it may not happen now fully because you're still saving people, and if you came again in wreck shop right now, someone who might come to Christ tomorrow may not have an opportunity. But I know that you will come again and the salvation that you started and sparked in Jesus Christ that I yearn for so deeply is coming. He says, remember that and don't forget that. But we spend time there because God begins to show us, I'm using this for my glory. Where in your life is a difficult time right now and you are just cussing at God? And you're like, God, it doesn't go like this, God. I'm the master of the universe, right? Remember, I should tell you what to do. God's like, what are you doing? That's not the way to live, and you're going to be tripping. And you're going to see the destruction of it. And so, but where is that place in your life? Where do you need to go to the desolate place and have it out and surrender to the Lord? And believe the gospel that you are loved in Christ, you're forgiven in Christ. Your whole identity is shaped and brand new in Jesus Christ. Because when your identity becomes shaped, you start to understand and trust the orders of the king. The ambassador does what the president says because he should trust and understand what he is supposed to do. So when God, when we learn to trust him, then we learn that God, I don't get this, but I trust that you as the king of kings are working this out and it will be for your glory, not just for you. I love how Tiffany was talking about these things are not just for him. They're not just for us, but God does something because he's advancing the gospel. But we still in our pain, unless we go there, don't want him to do it. We want him to do what we want to do. And we got this microcosmic view of his purpose. So there are times, and, and then he and it continues on, keep going on him, in 42, so he comes and he's in this desolate place, and he says, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. So the people sought him, came to him, and would have kept them, him from leaving them. In other words, you can imagine in, in when he's out praying and spending time in the desolate place, communing with the Father, right, after a busy day of ministry, people are, this, this sought, sought him and came to him is this passion. The people relentlessly pursued him to find him. They, they didn't give up, right? They relentlessly pursued him. Then when they found him, they, they sought to, they tried to hinder him and keep him in their area. So you see the pressure coming on, right? The people are, are pressuring. They, they had a need. They, they saw healings take place. Jesus, open up a healer shop here, right? Destroy it, kill it, kill it, you know, heal people, right, in, in Capernaum. So there was that. They had needs that they were trying to do. Then um, in addition to those needs, they had somewhat of an understanding of the Messiah that wasn't complete because, well, if you're here, like, it should all be here. So you can imagine their, their woundedness that Jesus did heal, but then that combined with their understanding of what he should do made them come, and even though it, was, it wasn't a bad thing to say Jesus death stay but there's a sense of almost like Jesus do what we want you to do Jesus do what we want you to do and that's this is one of the cases this happens throughout Luke where you have an individual or group of people that seek to change the mission and deter Jesus from his mission based on what they interpret his mission should be 
All right? So we are so much more like these people than we want to admit. Am I right? We are so much more like these people um, than we like to admit. <clears throat> I remember a year ago, it was a year ago, the seven last words, Good Friday, last, last Easter time, um, my wife and I were, were sick, sick as dog. We got that, you know, the flu thing that comes up, and we were just completely sick. And so what, what had happened is that um, we were excited to go. My neighbor, I'd been praying for him for so long, and I'm like, okay, he's, he comes to the door like, yo, are you ready to go? Are we going to go? Like, I really want to go. He doesn't initiate like that to go to church. <laughs> So, um, so he, by him doing that, I'm like, yes. So Thursday night, I'm like, Lord, what's going on? Why am I still sick? Why is still Fatima still sick? What do we do here? And so I'm literally wrestling with it to the point where Friday, I recognize and embrace the, the limit that we weren't going, but my heart did not want to embrace that limit. And I was saying, in my heart, I was saying to the Lord that whole time as I was getting in and wrestling, Lord, you don't care about him as much as I do. <laughs> Lord, I, you should do it the way I want it to be done. That's the struggle that we wrestle with. We want Jesus to do it our way because deep down we think we're the ones that control the universe and thinking we love people more than Jesus. But the other day, Tommy, you just, you just didn't talk to him and wanted to go into your house. Like talking about that, like what are you talking about? I got a plan, I love him so much more. So you see, that's, we are more like them. I, I can see James and John um, coming up in Luke 9 and saying, yo, Jesus, Samaria just blasted you, rejected you. Why don't you call down fire and burn that city? <laughs> I can see Peter say, Jesus, don't go to the cross. Don't go to the cross, right? Like, we about to get this kingdom popping off, right? Like, you about to be the Messiah that's supposed to, don't go to the cross. Both times, Jesus rebuked them. I can see that happening. I see it in my heart. See, because underneath it, there's an influence that drives us that isn't in line with the kingdom of God. There is an influence. And so we need to look at what drives us and influences us more than we think, right? Because when we try to project, what will happen is that we all have influences that we try to project upon Jesus to what he should do and what we should do as the people of God. We all try to run our agenda versus letting Jesus run his agenda, all right? When we run our agenda, it turns into destruction and mess, and it's horrible, so we then, they come from, let me read this to you, family of origin, these, these things that develop and dysfunctions and things we project, they come from family of origin that we have to work through, brokenness. They come from isolated instances when I have a bad occasion with someone and then I project that on everybody else that's like that person. They come from media. They come from the neighborhoods we grow up in. They come from, uh, and especially, it comes from the hot button that is a reality for 400 years is the racialized structure in the United States of America. Stuff is happening. Guys, we are a multi-ethnic church. Amen? We are the church of Jesus Christ that are united by the Spirit of God that come from all different backgrounds and it's beautiful because it reflects the nature of the Trinity who is three in one, unified diversity. And yet we bring stuff, we bring junk in our individual lives. We bring junk in what we have and if we don't deal with that stuff, we project it and it hurts our brothers and sisters. 
We all are prone to the brokenness of our culture, the brokenness of our flesh, the brokenness of structures around us. And yet Jesus says in the midst of it, when you wrestle with it, go to the desolate places. We as a community, we need to go to the desolate places together. We need to spend time talking about how the heck do I love someone who's so different from me? We don't like something that's foreign to us. We feel more comfortable around something that we think, God, you should just do it this way. And he says, you know what? I'm doing my purpose for my glory, and you'll find joy in it, so let me do it. And so that's the thing about it. We gotta be aware, because once we're aware of these things, we need to confess it. Name it what it is. Don't do general confession where you're not naming your sin. Name it. What is Jesus bringing up? Not just individually, but what's going on systemically around the world, around in our nation. Stuff is happening. Let's not run from the junk that only the gospel can heal. We gotta deal with it. It's difficult, but let's deal with it together under the banner of King Jesus. We gotta do that, people, because people are looking. And what is Jesus doing in this situation? I tell you what he's doing. He's preaching the kingdom of God. Are we going to follow him in it? Do we believe it? And so he says, this climax point where he says, um, I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't give in to our demands. I am so glad that he doesn't give in to our demands because there was stuff that I wanted him to do that was horrible for me and for others. And so he says, but he said to them in verse 43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other cities as well, for I was sent for this purpose. He says, I must preach. In other words, I gotta do what I'm called to do. This must conveys a strong sense of urgency. I gotta do this. Woe is me, as Jeremiah says in chapter 20, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. It's, or that Isaiah talking about, that Jeremiah talks about, there's a, a burning in my bones if I don't proclaim the word that I have to proclaim. It's like fire shut up in my bones. I gotta proclaim this. There's a passion. That was Jeremiah. Imagine the king of all who actually is the fulfillment of scripture coming and has a must. His must was not just a separate entity. His must came from the fact that he took on flesh, dwelled in glory forever, took on additional nature as a human, and dwelt among us. That's the must. I got it. I was sent for this purpose. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. I got to. That's what Jesus gets at, is that he says, I have to do this. Now, note, this is not an individually discerned thing outside of what God is doing. Individualization today says we, we kind of want to chase our own thing, and God, I'm going to do this, and Pastor talked about this last week where we, we do it, and then we say, God, you need to bless it, right? This right here, what we're talking about, the mustness of Jesus, it says that this was announced by angels in Luke, the beginning of Luke. It's testified by men and women who feared God. It's affirmed by the Father at the baptism, right, and the transfiguration. So God the Father says, boom, this is it. It's led by the Spirit, and it's testified 
to throughout the scriptures. You see, Jesus fulfills all of scripture, not just the one that says he's coming as a, as a king to do, take dominion, but he's coming as a suffering servant. Isaiah 42 talks about him being led by the hand of Yahweh, right? Him being led by God to, to give a covenant to a people, right? To bring good news to those that were in bondage and oppressed, right? He brings good news. And, and so he begins, to, he begins to say that this is the role. It's, it's from all things Theophilus are testifying that Jesus Christ is redeemer, forgiver, Lord, and everything finds its intended purpose in him. So don't lose heart when it gets tough. Go to the desolate place. I, I'm concerned with our mustiness, if I could say that today, that sense of urgency, right? It, it kind of feels more like sometimes I know in my heart um, and in us, it's more like a mustiness versus a mustness. Do, do you hear me? One study on authentic outreach says that 85% of all evangelical churches have evangelism in their mission, but less than 5% of Christians in a typical church are personally involved in evangelism. That's crazy. Y'all, that should rock us. Something's not connecting with the good news of the kingdom of God. And so we lose this sense of mustness and he says go to the desolate place as a community and deal with your stuff that, that says Jesus do this versus saying Jesus I surrender. I wanna go wherever you take me. My life is not my own. I belong to you and that's the best thing. I tell Michaela and Caitlin all the time that God did not give you his authority. He gave mommy and daddy as you his authority and that's a good thing because there is good authority that God has set up, even when we don't get it all in the, his first coming and between his second coming. And so he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other cities as well. I must preach it. And this good news, what he says, is it's, it's not clear what the good news is just in this specific passage, but he goes back to Luke chapter four to the program of the purpose of the king in Luke chapter four, and here's what he says. He gets up in, in Nazareth in the synagogue, and he's handed the scroll, and he reads Isaiah 61. Here's what he says. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus says, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he drops the mic and says, today it's been fulfilled in your hearing. Here's the crazy thing. This illustration harkens back to the idea of jubilee, which simply put is a time when God set up to say y'all need to practice jubilee in the Old Testament because it was the release of debt and what you owed to one another and it was the restoration of land. If you follow my ways in the land, you will have blessing and abundance. There will be justice portrayed. You will love one another and you will reflect my character. But if you don't, there'll be exile for you and there'll be destruction and you will not live out the kingdom purpose for which I've called you as a covenant people. And so when he does that, Israel, of course, you know, with the frailty of fallenness, seeks after other gods, runs after other gods, pursues them wholeheartedly, and so all of a sudden, uh, oppression towards the poor, 
injustice happens. Wages aren't paid, as Jeremiah talks about. There was, there was such dysfunction relationally in Israel that one of the indictments that the Lord had over and over is that the leaders and the people did not care for the poor and for all people with justice. Do you hear me? And so there's a sense the key to this is that the land belonged to God. When you functioned in it, it reflected his goodness. Israel didn't do it, but man, I'm so glad that there's one who stood up and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he came, when, when they said release of debts, guess what, Jesus came, because the Lord knew that Israel wasn't living out what they were called to live out. So what did he do? He prophesied in Isaiah that there will be a servant, a Messiah, a deliverer that will come, and Jesus steps up, quotes that section of scripture that points to forgiveness, release of bondage, freedom to be able to serve God. Jesus stands up and says, today it's fulfilled in your hearing. It's crazy. Like, he says, today it is here, it is fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus knew that he had a purpose. And he came with the passion of God to spread the good news that there's actually forgiveness of sin. Think about that. We were dark in darkness. We were alienated to God. We were under the prince of the power of the air, the Satan, right? We were under oppression in all these areas. Jesus steps up and says, I know your greatest need is for you to be delivered from a depraved heart to serve the living God and begin to learn what does it look like to also be a proclaiming community. That's what, so he comes up and he says, guys, I gotta preach this gospel. I can't just do it here. I know my purpose. I can't simply, I'm glad Jesus wasn't codependent right? Saying, I got to rely on you guys for my approval. No, I've got it from the Father. People of God, Piffing Fellowship, you have the approval if you're in Christ from the Father. Let him give your directives. He will satisfy, lead, and guide us in everything we need to, even when it gets tough. Go to the desolate places. Let him refuel you where you feel slack in your urgency and a passion for the gospel. And, and, and then we live as a community that says we want to now, we forgive. Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lord, you released me from the debt of sin. Teach me how to forgive others. Teach me how to do that in such a way where justice and righteousness, the world gets glimpses of what Dr. King said in quoting Amos, that the justice and righteousness will flow. One day it'll flow completely when Jesus comes again. Until then, we as the church have an opportunity to learn to live out the forgiveness of Christ, his perspective, and deal with our stuff for the glory of his name so that we can exalt Jesus wherever we are. As a, if I'm working, right? if I got kids, if I'm married, if I'm not married, if I'm a single, if I'm a college student, if I'm a youth, a youth, whatever it is, we need to let Jesus do his thing. And then he finalizes and says, he went and actually went and did it. He preached the gospel throughout Judea. 
I love how Luke says that he went and he preached it through Judea, but you track it to the end of Luke and he says, this gospel, right, you must, I'm calling you to preach repentance and faith, repentance and faith, right, in Jesus' name, right, and not just locally, but to the nations, and then he picks up in the book of Acts, if we were on a series, it would just go nicely into Acts on that. But he goes into Acts and he says, he continues the mission and it comes up to where we are today and says, look at what I've done throughout history. You may be going through something difficult right now, but look around us. Just look around for a second. Look what God has done. Each and every one of you, if you're in Christ, this gospel that men and women went forth to do it is we rest on the shoulders of all those that have gone forward. And so remember that God is faithfully advancing the gospel even through your difficult times. Father, we thank you for being good to us, Lord. I, I thank you for being a God of love and mercy. Uh, Lord, I am so grateful to be able to go and wrestle before you. Lord, you know I've had to have a lot of uh, the wrestling sessions and the surrendering sessions in a lot of my my time, the desolate times in the mornings. Um, Lord, I thank you that you are good. Lord, I thank you that you are working out your purpose. I thank you, Lord, that even when you uh, allow a limit to be placed on us, Lord, we can trust and believe and say, God, this doesn't make sense, but I'm gonna pray, seek your face, and look for an opportunity to advance the gospel. Um, and so, Lord, I thank you. I pray, Lord, I pray specifically that um, as students start their, their time in, in classes that the stress of work wouldn't overwhelm to where prayer gets quenched. But Lord, specifically, um, that they would find their signs, uh, themselves going into the desolate place and wrestling and, and praying, spending time with you and trusting you. I pray for, um, Lord, the married couple who is struggling right now. I pray, Lord God, that they wouldn't, there wouldn't be a sense of, uh, of, of, of entitlement or pushing away, Lord, or saying, God, I'm going to read the Bible and quote stuff, but I'm not going to spend time confessing sin nor being honest before you. I, I pray for the single who's struggling with, with uh, the idea of singleness, Lord. I, I pray that there would be a wrestling and saying, God, for some reason, you saw fit that I'd be single in this time. And how can you use it as you did with the Apostle Paul to advance the gospel? I pray for the single mom, Lord God, who is trying to make ends meet, Lord God. I pray your strength and grace and blessing. God, I pray um, sometimes even when, when uh, one of the spouses will just kind of go AWOL or leave, Lord, it relieves responsibilities that, um, that we can really look to in community to serve and encourage one another in those times. Father, um, I pray for those who are hurting and they're, even my wife right now, which is the infection. And um, Lord, I pray for those who are sick and hurting right now. Please, Lord, teach us and those deeply involved in those situations, Father, to, to wrestle and surrender and, and not just say, you know, forget it, I'm gonna do it in my own strength, but saying, God, I gotta, I gotta daily pursue you. I, I gotta pray every two seconds um, over, over the one who's hurting or for them, or I gotta come before you, Lord God. And so, Father, and we, we, we give our cares and burdens and we say, thank you, Lord, that this isn't it. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're coming back again. And so we bless you, we honor you, and we thank you.